Good morning, everyone. Um, excited to start a new series here at North Church this morning. Um, you may have noticed the the new theme in the frames that are around the hallways and, and the auditorium that are showing this image of gospel-shaped mission. And for the next six weeks, that will be our theme, uh, trying to understand uh, each one of these ideas. First, the gospel, second, shaped, and then third, mission. And I believe that our mission is always being shaped, and our mission is always being shaped by what's in the front of our brains and in the front of our minds. And um, and the next six weeks, we're going to think about this gospel-shaped mission as as a concept and as an idea. And, and I think it really applies to every one of our situations, to us personally and to our church and in our families and um, in our relationships and in the way we parent, the way we're husbands, the way we're friends, uh, everywhere, the idea of, of a gospel-shaped mission. And uh, it, oftentimes when we, we say this, we, we tend to think evangelistically and that gospel-shaped mission as an evangelistic idea or an evangelistic uh purpose or, or maybe theme. But uh, if we really understand this idea of, of the gospel and what it means to be shaped and then what mission means, that it, it just infiltrates and works its way down in every single aspect of our life. Um, later on in the sermon, I'll, I'll talk about how, uh, give an application of it for, uh, for parenting. And I think it'll kind of come uh, into focus there. But uh, let, let's define in your bulletin, uh, you'll see, and on the screen behind me, you'll also see this, that uh, these definitions of of gospel, the definition of shape and the definition of mission. So if you have that uh, bulletin, grab it. If not, you can just look it up, uh, look up on the screen where you'll see the same definitions, but I wanted you to have it in the bulletin as well. So when I say gospel, and, and I've said gospel from this pulpit uh hundreds, probably even thousands of times throughout the, the 13 years of the existence of North Church. Um, but in short, here's what I mean when I say gospel. Um, first, it's Jesus died and was raised so that we could be in relationship with God the way we were intended. There's nothing of our own doing, and it's only the grace, love, and mercy of Jesus. It's not a list of rules to follow. It's not a religion. It's simply news about what Jesus has done. That's the kind of the working definition, but let, let's dig into that just a bit. Jesus died and was raised so that we could be in relationship with God the way we were intended. So you and I were created to be in this perfect abiding relationship where we're fully known and fully know who God is and he knows us and there's this perfect purity of relationship. Sin has come and fractured that perfect purity and created this penalty, which should be death for us. But Jesus's death on the cross and subsequent defeat of death by resurrecting from the grave has changed all of that and allows us to be in perfect abiding relationship with God. Now, we're in the midst of a world where there's brokenness and we're broken and people around us are broken and broken people do broken things to each other and make that brokenness even worse. And therefore, that perfect purity of relationship we don't enjoy to its fullest extent because of the sin that's in us and around us. Um, and so the gospel, its role in our lives is to bring us back into that perfect relationship that we were intended to be in. And it's 
Secondly, and we'll, we'll talk about this when we, we start looking deeply at Ephesians 2 um, in just a minute, but it's not of our own doing. It's only the grace and love of mercy of Jesus. So there's nothing that's of any value that we can present in any relationship that we have to another human being or to to an organization or to a group or to a city or to a community or even to a country. There's nothing that we can bring that's of any value to that community, to that person, to that uh, that country even, apart from what Jesus has given to us. So there's, there's nothing of our own doing. It's only the grace and love and mercy of Christ. And it's not a list of rules to follow. It's not a religion. It's simply news about what Jesus has done. So everything that brings us into relationship with God is outside of us. And it's affecting us by the grace and mercy and love of Jesus. And as we understand the fullness of that and apply the fullness of that to our own hearts and to the hearts of those around us and in our families, in our churches, in our community groups, in all of our relationships, and especially for those who believe differently than we believe or or look differently than we look, uh, when we apply this idea of the gospel, that it's something outside of us that's changed us and allowed us to be in a relationship with God, there can be no pride. There can be no um, no strength of, of who we are. Instead, it's all complete reliance upon God. And there's has to be the grace and love and mercy of Christ that we've received is what we give into our world. That's the gospel. Um, secondly, the second definition to deal with is this idea of, of shaped. Um, in your bulletin and on the screen, it says this, we work from acceptance. That's from acceptance and forgiveness and not for acceptance and forgiveness. When we, ide- when we have this idea that we work from acceptance and forgiveness and not for acceptance and forgiveness, we begin to be changed. It changes everything. It changes our relationships. It changes our serving. It changes our church. It changes our worldview. It changes our politics. If we truly submit and surrender in faith to the full truth of the gospel, everything has to be changed. And that's what I'm talking about when we say gospel-shaped mission, is that we work from acceptance and forgiveness, not for acceptance and forgiveness. And that idea of the gospel changes everything, all of our relationships, from the way that we parent, to the way that we're we're spouses, to friends, to, to serving, and not just serving um, in our church, but serving around our communities, serving the poor in our communities, serving those in the margins around our communities. It has to change us. The gospel has to shape the way that we view all of these things. That's shaped. Um, and ultimately, I also want to say this. If, if you're not trying to gain something from God, um, we shouldn't be trying to gain it from those around us. So there's nothing that we can do to earn anything from God. And there's nothing that we should impose on others to get them to be able to earn something from us. You follow that? Let me, let me say that again, because I don't think I'm, I'm saying that very well. Um, we don't need someone to, to try to earn something from us because we don't need to try to earn something from God. It's only by his grace. So if we don't need to earn something from God, they shouldn't need to earn something from you. Third definition here is mission. Mission is the purpose for which we live. How we live 
and our set of priorities for living as an individual, in a church, in a family, in a work environment, in a neighborhood, your mission is the answer to the question, why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I at North Church? Why am I living in North County? Why am I living where I'm living? Why am I here in this family? Why is... Uh, why am I working in this job? The answer to that question is your mission. And um, the building block of this idea, gospel-shaped mission, is the gospel shapes your answer to that question, why am I here? You are here at North Church because you're being shaped by the gospel. You are in this family to shape the family by the gospel and to allow the family to shape you with the gospel. You are in the community group that you're in so that the, that the gospel that's in that community group might shape you. Um, your mission is the answer to the question why you are here. All of the answers to all of these questions in all the areas where you find yourself are to be shaped by the gospel and to live the gospel. So let's look at scripture just for a second about what the gospel is. Um, and, and I think the, the simplest and, and most pure um, definition or um, enlightenment to what the gospel is, is in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. It says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins and once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We'll come back to that in a second. And were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, I want to point out uh, three quick things from this scripture passage. First, verse 3, the second, what kind of comes behind the comma there. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We have all been there. We all live there. Even currently, we live by the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body. We are all sinful creatures, and every person that you encounter is a sinful creature and they are broken and do broken things to each other. But God, verse four, two of the most beautiful words in scripture, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead, dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Those That's verses four and five. This is just beautiful. And, and it's the the embodiment of the gospel and really the embodiment of, of what it means to live a gospel shaped mission. All of us, every single person that you and I have ever met has been, is broken and have lived out the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. In James, it says it's our sinful desires that give birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. 
And this idea, carrying out the desires of the body, that's the result of our sin. It brings death in our lives. And we are by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, caused us to be made alive in Christ. So anything that's of value to us in any way, any any capacity of our lives has been put there, that's of value, has been put there by the grace, love, and mercy of Christ. And this is what Ephesians 2 and the gospel is getting at. And the point is, is we need to allow this to shape the way that we interact in every relationship that we have. This is what it means to live a gospel-shaped mission. And and this is going to be the heart of the next six weeks for us is to dive deep into this and not just in our own personal lives, but also to see this effectually playing out in the life of Christ and effectually playing out in the life of Peter as we will look at him in, in a sermon coming up. But this is the, the big picture concept is, is verses three, four, and five. We're all carrying out the desires of our body like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in mercy has caused us to be made alive with Christ. This is the gospel. This is how it means and what it means to be shaped by it and to live this life. And now skip down to to verse 10. It says this, for we are his workmanship. That word workmanship is the Greek word for poetry. And and, uh, this is kind of a a jump here for me to, to impose this on the text. But to understand that you are the workmanship of God created in Christ for good works means this, the gospel has been planted in you by God and God has used that gospel to shape you into who you are with your passions, with your gifts, with your motivations, with all that is you added to that, the beauty of the gospel that crafts you into poetry that God has made, that workmanship, that crafting that God has made so that you might walk in them and affect the world around you with the gospel. So as the gospel shapes your mission, the gospel becomes what shapes what is around you. This is the gospel. It's the heart of who we are. It's the heart of how we are shaped. It's the substance of our purpose as people, and it's the substance of our purpose as a church. For the next six weeks, we're going to be thinking about this, how the gospel shapes our mission. And we'll look at what happens when the church shapes our mission or when the culture shapes our mission. But we'll always be reminded that it's the intent that the gospel would shape our mission. Uh, So I kind of hinted at where we're headed next here. So I want to think about this idea of of the triangular movement of the gospel. Um, Imagine this triangle where the gospel is on top and, and then down and to the right is the culture and then across and to the left is the church. Um, and and this is how it's supposed to be. We're imposing this gospel that I've just been talking about from Ephesians 2 and, and this definition. We're imposing this gospel on the culture. You're broken. I'm broken. The only thing that's of value to us is the saving nature and grace and mercy and love of Christ. And we impose that on the culture, not a list of rules, not a list of things you have to do. We impose that on the culture. So we impose the gospel on ourselves, we impose the gospel on our relationships, and we impose the gospel in all things. The gospel informs all that we are and all that we do as people and as a church. And so then we impose that on the culture. And then we have then a gospelized culture that now is imposed on the church. And so our church is made up of this gospelized culture. And then 
from the bottom left of our triangle back up to the top, we are again reminding ourselves of the gospel. And this is triangular cyclical movement that's always happening, that's always going on. We're all sinners in need of a savior, and Jesus is that savior. More, we're more sinful than we could ever know, and we're more loved than we could ever hope. And the goal is to impress this gospel, this incredible matchless grace of Jesus that changes us until we become agents of grace, infecting our world with it, infecting our relationships with it, and even more so, infecting our church with it. This is what it means to live a gospel-shaped mission. However, we can get it backwards. We can put the culture on top. Instead of the gospel on top in our triangular movement, we have the culture on top in our triangular movement. And what this does, it creates liberalism. When the culture is imposed on us as individual, the culture dictates how we see the world. It dictates what is right. It dictates what is wrong. It dictates what is moral and what is immoral. The culture becomes our God and we sacrifice to that God and offer worship to this culture God. We do what it tells us to. We value what the culture tells us to value. And when others do not do what our culture is telling us to do and what we value, what our culture is valuing, then relationships begin to break. Um, and we, what we have then, instead of a gospel-shaped mission, we have a culture-shaped mission. You see that? And I think this is an area where we can fall into. And here's the thing that I want to insert here is, is sometimes people tend to move one direction or, or the other, putting the culture on top or putting the church on top. But here, the, what I've found in my own particular life and the life of, of those close to me is sometimes we can fall into the ditch of the culture on top, creating liberalism, or we can fall into the ditch of the church on top, creating legalism. We, we can jump back and forth into those particular ditches. So what is that second one? When the church is on top, the church then becomes the end we have created this sort of legalism. When the church is imposed on us as individuals, the traditions and rules of the church become our God. They are the thing that dictates what is right and wrong. They are the thing that dictates what is allowed and not allowed. Um, and we become a place that doesn't tolerate the sins that we deem to be unacceptable. And we do tolerate the sins that we do deem to be acceptable. And the, the fact here is when the church is shaping the mission, Grace is absent. Forgiveness is absent. Perfection is demanded. We end up being people who feel left in the margin. We end up with people who feel left in the margins. We end up with people who don't feel welcomed by particular churches. We end up being condescending and proud. We become our own God. The church becomes our own God. This is what it means to have a church-shaped mission. And again, we can all fall into these ditches where we become a, a culture-shaped mission or a church-shaped mission. And the purpose of this sermon series is to begin to teach ourselves and, and live in the sort of community where we can continually remind ourselves that we need to have a gospel-shaped mission. Um, I want to give you an example here of, of parenting. Um, for me, this is a, a good personal example in my own life and in my own heart. Uh, my daughters are at home, Hannah Grace and Mia. I tend to have the culture on top when I'm parenting them. And what I mean by that is um, they're, I'm wrapped around their little fingers. Whatever they want me to do, I'm going to say yes. And I'm going to extend all kinds of grace and all kinds of mercy to them. And what they want 
rules the way that I parent them. And that's not a good thing. Um, and then with my son, it's, it's different. It's, it's a, it's a church shaped mission. You've got to pay attention to these rules. I'm, I'm more strongly, uh, heavy handed with my son when he breaks my commands then I get really angry and really upset and demand things from him. Grace is absent. Forgiveness is absent. It's really hard for me. Ima- imagine this. Um, my daughters are uh, a, a wine glass with a with a tall stem. And my son is a pewter beer stein that's strong. And I treat them differently with grace. And I treat them differently with heavy handedness. I'm very gentle and, and loving and kind. And that's what it seems like. But, but when I'm sometimes too gentle and too kind and allow them to, to do whatever they want to without a lot of um, uh, firm correction, I'm doing them a disservice. And then when I, I, I tend to, to impose my will and my strength in the way that I think my son ought to behave, I'm treating him like that pewter, hard, strong, sturdy beer stein, and I'm not worried about throwing it and breaking it. Uh, but I ought to be. And this is uh, church on top is a dad who is legalistic. Even if his kids don't behave the way they're supposed to behave, they are punished severely. Culture on top is a dad who lets his kids do whatever they want and is afraid to challenge them for fear that he might lose them. Gospel on top parenting creates a grace-filled family. Kids understand that their parents love them, and they understand that they want the best for them. There is grace for mistakes. There's forgiveness, but there's also discipline and correction. There's beauty here. And this is how this idea, that concept of how you parent um, really puts itself into the, the depth of, of who we are to be when we're living a grace-shaped life in our own hearts and in the hearts of those in our families, the hearts of those in our community groups, the hearts of those in our church the hearts of those in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and even in our state and in our politics. And 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 it just becomes a, a place where we have forgiveness offered to people around us, but also pushing people towards the truth of the gospel. We're all in need of the gospel. Our lives are all in need of the gospel. I want to end this morning by just reading a few short, simple verses. Typically, I read verses out of the the ESV, but I want to read these last few verses out of the um, the New Living Translation, which is kind of a thought for thought translation, and, and brings some verses um, into a, a language that's more easy to to like interact with. And this is what I want us to do, um, and and they're in your bulletin, so you can have them to look back at to just to to consistently remind yourself of the gospel and help the gospel to shape your life and shape your mission. So the first one, Romans 8, 1, and I'm not going to say a lot uh, about these verses instead, just kind of read them over you and let the gospel kind of wash over you in that way. Uh, Romans 8, 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Christ is the only way. John 6.29, Jesus told them, This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. 
I do want to say something quickly about this verse. John 6, 29, very simply. And, and this is something that I get confused in my heart and, and, and probably the, one of the most uh, frequently asked questions of me is, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? What's God's will for my life? Jesus tells you very specifically here in John 6, 29, the only work God wants from you is to believe in the one he has sent, and that's Christ. That's a, a very simple message of the gospel. Whatever it is you think you need to be doing, the simplicity of it is what God wants from you is to believe in Christ. Next one, 1 Peter 3, 18, Christ suffered once for our sins, once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Read that middle sentence again. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. Lastly, 1 John 2, 2. He himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but for sins of all the world. Let's, uh, let's pray.